0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. We all have questions and we're all looking for the answers, but sometimes navigating the answers to cultural issues through the lens of the gospel can be challenging. Join us for our asking for a friend series where each week we'll answer tough questions and provide you with gospel-centered answers that you can share with a friend. Good morning, Woodside LaPierre and everybody else from Hope Week. Uh, thank you, two people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you, those two people that said hello. We've we got some special treasures for you back in the back. But no, let's be honest. Hey, this is a great to have a full house. Amen? Amen. amen. And uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. If you don't know where that's at, just kind of go, oh, how many, how many, how many? go? Right in the middle. You'll probably be somewhere right in the middle of the book, Right. Psalms, we're going to be in, um, and I'll tell you the chapter in a second. As you're turning there to Psalms, um, this is uh, kind of from the first service. I had some uh, interesting and, and encouraging feedback. because you know, this is an interesting series we're in. And if you're kind of uh, turning in your uh, Bible, I want you to think about kind of where you're at in your life. How many of these, this is your first Hope Week? Okay, awesome. How many have been coming to Hope Week for more than three times. Okay, okay. so we got a, a lot of second-timers and some first-timers. Okay, awesome. My, we have seven kids, so when God said, Be fruitful and multiply, we took that very seriously, right? And so my oldest is 18, Nathan. He's in, uh, down in the Detroit uh, area. My two other daughters, Eden and Eliza, uh, they're hanging out somewhere in there. I guess I could kind of spy them on Life 360, but they'd be kind of creepy right now. So they're around somewhere in the metro Detroit area. But uh, we've been here now for uh, a couple years. My name is Travis Jerome. I'm on the teaching team here at Woodside. Well, we are one church family in many locations. And we welcome those who are online right now. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to check us out. And one of the things I love about Woodside is no matter where you're at, you're getting consistent biblical teaching because we are one family. And family matters. So if this is your first time with us, welcome. We welcome our students. I was a college and student pastor for 14 years, and I was an active duty Navy chaplain for 12. So I've been dealing with pretty much young adults for a very, very long time. And so I am excited to be able to bring to you from God's words a message of hope. I think it's interesting what we're going to be talking about today ties in very well with Hope Week. Because you all are having an opportunity to bring hope to people who feel very, very hopeless. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever said, Travis, I have struggled with anxiety at one time or another? I've been anxious, I've worried, I've had care. Well, I'm not really, I'm just, I'm just concerned, right? By show, this is more rhetorical. It means kids, don't raise your hand, right? I want you to think about this. How many of you are sitting right now because of your current life situation, maybe things going on at home or looming things coming up at school, or relationships that you're saying right now, Travis, I am currently dealing with anxiety. This is exactly where you need to be because there's no better place to be with God's people and God's word and by God's spirit to feel God's hope in the midst of hopelessness. So we've been kind of polling the congregation. What are some hot topics that they would like to be preached from the pulpit? And this is one of the messages. And if you have a copy of your notes, uh, you should be kind of seeing where we're landing at. We're in, Psalms, we're in Psalm 77. So go ahead and be kind of turning to Psalm 77. As you're turning to Psalm 77, the question I want to ask now is, is anxiety or being anxious a sin? It's one of the specific questions that was asked. Let's talk about that. Because if you say on one hand, no, Travis, anxiety or being anxious is not a sin, we're probably going to have some trouble with some places in the Bible, specifically in Matthew chapter six and other places where Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. However, playing on the other side of the equation, if you say, yes, anxiety is a sin, then we have the issue of what do we do with that? If we say it is, what do I, what, does that mean all my anxiety is a sin? Because every person who's ever lived, let's be honest, any perfect people in here? No, I don't think so. If you weren't, you were just a liar, right? So there we go. We're all the same level before the cross. We all have messed up. James says we all stumble in many ways. And here's the thing every person who's ever lived, In the face of the world, including Jesus, has dealt with anxiety. I think about the effects of sin in this world. You don't even have to be religious. You don't even have to be spiritual. You don't even have to believe in God to know, look around you. We live in a broken world. Look at your social media feeds. Look at what's going on with AI. Look at what's going on on the news feeds. We live in a broken world. Broken relationships broken families, broken marriages, even broken churches. So if 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 we say that anxiety is a sin, well then it seems the only solution is you got to be detached, you got to be unemotional, you just got to fake it till you make it, baby. You just got to just put that in a box and put a smile on your face and just say stuff it down. Suck it up, buttercup. Or like the old song says, don't worry, be happy. But let's be honest, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, we, you know, we're all putting on our faces, putting on our best because God deserves our best. But let's be honest, what's going on inside of our hearts when everybody else sees this and we know what's really going on inside of us when no one else is looking and you're scrolling through your phone feeling all alone and nobody cares? If you search the internet, there's a ton of articles out there. You can probably be fact-checking right now if you want to. There's tons of articles. All the gamut of what is anxiety One particular article I love as I was working on this message that came from the Gospel Coalition. This is from March 2019. And the author puts anxiety into one of four categories. This is not an exhaustive list. It just kind of helps give us some context. Why? Because context matters. Number one, the first type of anxiety is called a God-given emotional response for our benefit. If there was a giant lion coming through here, which I'm thinking, why would we have lions in Michigan? I don't know why, but we did. Or a bear. That would probably be a little bit more real, right? A bear, right? Depends on what part of Michigan. Your natural response would be like, you know, you're not going to be like, hey, let's go have a good time and high-five the bear. No! What do they tell you about bear? Unless you have your bear spray, right? I was just in South Dakota last week with a nonprofit that I work with and I in Montana the week before that, and we had some bear sightings. And we're climbing up um, around Glacier Park in Montana, and I'm thinking, what do I do when I see about You just make yourself really big. Well, What if I'm really short? Like, you know, I got my wife. She's like 5'2". She ain't going to stand a chance, right? I'm 6'4". Like, what am I supposed to do? Just make myself look big? Hello, bear. No. I am going to get that fight or flight, and I'm going to do something, right? That's for my benefit. That's God-given. When I think of an impending torture, a impending car crash, impending death, it's for our benefit. Number two, clinical. This is where a lot of debate is, depending on where you land in the whole spectrum of, of, of how we deal with anxiety. This is where those people that, you know what, I've got a good life. I've got money in the bank. I've got a lot of friends. I've got, I've got lots of, you know, whatever. I'm a, I've got, I feel like I have everything that I need, and there really should be no reason why I'm sad. But for whatever reason, when I get up in the morning, I just feel this anxiety. I feel this pressure, this weight. I don't want to get out in front of the public. I don't, I don't know how to talk to people. I feel people are judging me and watching me. And, and I feel this endooming doom, and I don't know what to do. And I feel utterly crippled by it. There's some people, they wake up because of certain parts of the country they live in because they get vitamin D deficiency. And it's gray, 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 gray for like six months out of the year, called Michigan. Right? We moved here from Jacksonville, Florida at my last uh, duty assignment. I was an active duty Navy chaplain. For almost 12 years, and my last duty assignment was here in Michigan with the Coast Guard. So traveling all over the state of Michigan, there's a lot of folks who love the hunt and fishing. Who loves hunting and fishing? Thank you back there. You're dedicated. Seriously, so we got the one. Say, show them proud, right? Or, okay. Fishermen are silent, right? They don't have to say anything because you don't need to talk when you're fishing. Because you might scare the fish, right? Unless you're into fly fishing. That's a whole different thing. You're just kind of going, don't get me in that. I hurt myself doing that one time, right? But we were down in Jacksonville, Florida, coming up here to Michigan, and there's some folks in the coast where they love to hunt and fishing, but their spouse doesn't. And they struggle with anxiety and depression and mental health issues. These are those folks that may need extra help because the effects of the fall have affected our mind. Not just humanity, but our brain, our brain chemistry, how we perceive things. And people start judging us. We start judging ourselves, and we don't know what we're doing. We feel out of control. Number three natural consequences of sinful behavior. This will be like, you know, you cheated on a test and you hope you don't get caught and you're getting anxious about that because it's a natural consequence potentially to your behavior. Maybe you've gambled away some of your money. You're wondering, how are you going to pay your mortgage? How are you going to pay your bills? Maybe you've cheated on a friend or a relationship and you're wondering how that's going to affect your family, your marriage, the relationship. Maybe you've lied. Maybe there's somebody who's been hurting you. And now you, your natural response is to hurt them back. You ever heard the old saying, hurt people hurt people? Yeah. Number four, sinful response to God's or care. We're going to talk a lot about that today. This is the anxiety that results because we lack trust in God. And so according to the Bible, the word for anxiety that is used 17 times in the New Testament is called the word merimneo. You're thinking, you just made that up. How would you know? Well, you can fact check me, M E R. I-M-N-A-O. That's the transliteration. Now, what does that mean? Why would that be important, students? Because words matter. Words matter. You ever heard the old thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt. We're getting awake. We're getting there, right? But they do. Words do matter. I bet you can recall hurtful things that somebody has said in your life. Maybe something that you said in somebody else's life that's caused anxiety. This word, ho, in the New Testament for uh, is this? It's used for a term of concern. And many times we see uh, anxiety is legitimate. It's real. It's, it's useful in the New Testament. It, it, it indicates a sense of concern for self and others. Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote a, a good portion of the New Testament, when he's writing a letter to the church of Corinth, he says in 2 Corinthians 11.28 that there's this daily pressure on him for the good of the church. It's like the well-being of of God's people. It was weighing heavy on him. And so if you do a little word search for us word nerds out there, you like to go like, hey, I want to do a little word search. So ESV, English Standard Version, which is what we're reading from today. King James translates that as care. <clears throat> the New American Standard, the New International and the legacy all translate that as concern. And the English tra- Standard translates that as anxiety. Now why is that important? Because it all comes from the same word, Mamneo." which means to have concern, care, anxiety, or worry. Here's the bottom line. We cannot say anxiety is never a sin because Jesus commands us not to be anxious. Nor can we say anxiety itself is a sin because Jesus himself expressed anxiety. I think about <clears throat> when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, say, okay, disciples, stay awake, I'm getting ready to pray. He has to wake him up multiple times, they're going to sleep, just like some of you are right now, as I'm talking. You need to get woken up. It's time to wake up, right? Something's getting ready to happen. It's called lunch, right? No. And so Jesus is praying, and the Bible says that he's literally sweating drops of blood. I don't know about you, but I've never really sweat blood. That's a little intense. But Jesus is literally thinking about the impending weight of the sins. My sin. Your sin. Our sin. On him on the cross. And you don't think that brought anxiety? Because the Bible says, he literally says, If there be any other way, let this cup be taken from me, but not my will, God, your will be done. Yet, the Bible says he didn't sin. So how do we answer this question, Travis? Well, we got to understand what the word means. Now, we looked at what the Bible says, what does the world say anxiety is? There's a lot of different definitions. One of the ones I've landed with me that I feel like brings some context is, and this is my, and kind of Travis Jules paraphrase, Anxiety is giving weight to the things we care about. Right now, as I'm talking, your your behavior is being impacted by the strongest thoughts in your brain at any given moment. Your prefrontal cortex, by which way, parents, this is a good one for parents out there. Your prefrontal cortex is the last part of the brain to be fully developed, and it's the part of your brain that helps with impulse control. You're thinking, "Now, now I know why he's like that, right? Logic, reasoning, and men about, eight, about 25 years old, 26, women about 21, and you're thinking, oh, that, makes, that adds a lot of sense right now because I have friends in my life that struggle with impulse control. Don't raise your hand. How many of you struggle with impulse control? I want to raise my hand right now, right? There's things in your life that you're giving weight to, and sometimes those things are good and proper. Unfortunately, some of those things tend to be so out of alignment, you take your eyes off God and you become so self-focused, you become self-focused rather than God-focused. So how do we know the difference? I believe the answer to that question is, is in answering a different set of questions. Maybe like, is... What I'm anxious about, the heaviest thing right now. I feel like it consumes me. It's all I think about. It comes across my radar. I can't get out of my mind. I can't sleep. It's overwhelming me. I can't eat. I'm angry all the time. I just don't have any mood to do the things that I want to do. Am I taking my eyes off of Christ and onto myself? Am I letting my emotions dictate my behavior rather than just being an indicator? Which brings us to our big idea. How do we handle when we have anxious thoughts? Because it's really not about whether anxiety is a sin or not. It's really what am I doing with anxiety and what is anxiety doing to me? Which leads us to our big idea. If you're taking notes, rightly reflecting on God will reorder our anxieties. Because let's be honest. We're a hot mess sometimes in here. We're all over the place and we're feeling out of control like we're just watching things happen. You ever feel like, you know what, I know the right thing to do. I know what God's word says, but for whatever reason, it's not connecting with my heart. I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience and I'm just a third party's boss there going, well, I'm just going to hang out over here. And when everything calms down, you just let me know. I've been there. And it's not fun. You feel like you're literally losing your mind. And the enemy starts whispering those lies. You're no good. No one loves you. God isn't for you. He's against you. The church is just a bunch of hypocrites. Oh, by the way, we all are all hypocrites. (laughs) If not, as soon as I walk through this building, I would make it a hypocrite. Because I'm not perfect. I mess up. I'm a hot mess at times. The very things that I want to do, I don't do sometimes. And the very things that I don't want to do, I end up doing them. I call it the cul-de-sac of stupidity. Been there? Done that? There's an old proverb that says, "As a dog returns to his vomit, so does a fool to his folly." Sometimes I go back, and I'm pretty foolish, and I don't even know why. You ever ask somebody ask you, "Why'd you do that?" I don't know. Huh? You may honestly just don't know why, but you did it. You see, we need to look to God for who He is and what He's done, just like the song we just sang. By the way, thanks. Thanks, Ben and the team. They did a great job just kind of leading us up there, just preparing our hearts. We need to see what God has done and what he wants to do in and through us so that we can properly reorder our anxiety instead of letting it cripple us. So today we turn to the Psalms. I love the Psalms because Psalms are meant to be sung and they're instruction. They're instructions and songs. Scholars think that Asaph particularly may have wrote this as um, a lament. As I was saying in the last service, it's not like, hey man, we're going to have a whole worship set of lament. And somebody's going, what is lament? It means to mourn. It means to be sad. right? We're going to have some Debbie Downer songs. And you're thinking, well, who's Debbie Downer? Oh, they were an evangelist in the 1990s. You just looked that up on YouTube, right? Okay. The Psalms, John Piper says that the Psalms intend to shape what we think with our mind and feel with our heart. And so my prayer is that that's what this message would do for you. It would shape what you think and shape what you feel to be in alignment with God's truth and especially dealing with the emotion of anxiety. So scholars who believe Asaph wrote this, he's speaking on behalf of his countrymen of Israel. And here again, they're complaining, God, where are you at? If you're such a good God, why aren't you here? You ever been there? say those prayers, have all the right beliefs, but the feelings just don't match up, and you start getting on the pity party, feeling sorry for yourself. And this is kind of what's happening here. How do we address our anxious heart? And I love this because the psalmist has to walk his heart through the anxiety. He has to. And taking up his prayer that we can find hope in the midst of darkness. So if you're taking notes, number one, how do you handle an anxious heart? you got to acknowledge your anxiety to the Lord. you got to be honest. Many times, I'll even lie to myself to make myself believe what I know is really not true, but God knows. See, the Bible says man sees the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. My old battalion commander, he said this one time, you, can fake, you can't fake the funk on a nasty dunk. You're thinking, what does that mean? You can only fake it till you make it so long. Eventually, when you look at yourself in the mirror, that's why I love God's word because it's a map and a mirror. It gives us guidance, but it also reflects back to us how God sees us. But many times we don't want to see that. We want to keep holding on to what we've been holding on, right? Misery loves company. I want to, because I got control. I can do this. But then we realize we don't have it. Look what he says in verse one: I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. Have You ever been there? You are so bound up with anxiety and emotion that you are just can't even get the words of, How you doing? How you feeling? You don't even know what to say, so you just cry, or you get angry, and you shut down. You isolate yourself, and that is exactly what the enemy wants you to do right now, students and adults. He wants to isolate you and insulate you. He wants to isolate you from God's people. He wants to insulate you from God's truth, that God is not for you. He is against you. And the psalmist knows right where to go with his anxiety. He ain't shout about it. He ain't taking this up and trying to put it all in a nice, neat, and tie. He is bringing it raw and real. You don't have to have a theological degree. You don't have to have all the education. Just be real. You're it at his feet. Even when you don't have words, the Holy Spirit will be a mediator for you. When you don't even have the words to speak because you're so overwhelmed. And I love verses one through four because it gives us a way to approach God with our anxieties. Look at this. He says in verse one, "He's hurting and unconsolable. I cry aloud to God. Says that twice. My hand is stretched out without wearing. Verse two, he says, "My soul refuses to be covered." You ever have people going, just patting you on the shoulder, going, "Hey man, I'm here for you. It's okay. It's okay." And they pat you like this, They're like, "Man, I don't want to be touched. Get away from me." You, you, I don't want to be consoled. I know the right thing, but I'm angry. And I want to be angry. I want to sit in this. And God's like, you know what? When you get your hat cleaned up, come back and talk to me. No. He comes just the way he is. And I want to encourage you folks, you don't have to get it all together. Just come raw and real. And God is big enough to handle it. Because if the tomb is empty, anything's possible. If Christ can conquer the grave, do you think he can help you with your anxiety? Thank you, train. That's right. We're in sync now, me and the are. That's good. This is about the third time I heard this this morning. So it's very consistent. I love it. <laughs> he is so troubled, he cannot speak. You may feel that way in your anxiety. There are things that trouble you so deeply as you're going through this experience. It's real and valid. There's no rebuke from God here. There's no correction. He doesn't say, get your stuff together, buckle up, buttercup, suck it up. No! He says, come to me with all your anxieties and cast them on me, 1 Peter, for I care for you. But notice where he does. Here's the thing. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay not to be okay forever. In his frustration, he's open and honest. But we're going to see a transition in a second. About a year ago, I began going through the process of a possible career change (laughs) Um, at 44 years old. I've been doing chaplaincy for almost 20 years. I did did college and student ministry from 97 to 2011, so pretty pretty much youth ministry. And then I did uh, uh, active duty Navy chaplaincy from 2011 until this last March. But I've been doing volunteer chaplaincy for the high school football teams, police and fire, or YMCA for many, many years, about 20 it's really easy to get your identity wrapped up in what you do. Who other people say that you are. What other people in your relationships say that you are. What people say at school say you are. On the internet, yourself. It's really easy to get caught up in the praises of people rather than the identity found in Christ. I had been going to non-denominational churches for several years, much like this, and we had been praying about, okay, you know what? I really feel like, you know, we've been, we've been in Baptist circles for a long time. I, I, I love being a Baptist. That's all I've known. I went to a Baptist seminary. But I feel like it's being faithful and true to the church attendance we've been going to for the last several years to start the process of getting a new endorsement. So all chaplains in the military have to have what's called an ecclesiastical endorsement. You're like, what does that mean? It's just a religious denomination basically saying, you're good to go. We've vetted you, and we're going to give our approval to the government. And, 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 of course, I'm also a naval officer, but I'm also a minister. Kind of a weird thing, right? And so that's what I was. And I had to go through this process. You got to get your pastor recommendation. You have to write a letter. Your commanding officer has to write something. It's a big deal. Because if that's the case, everybody just be kind of hopping around doing their thing. I want to be this. I want to be that. No. The government's like, hey, you need to get yourself figured out. We'll go you through the process of a board and we'll make a decision whether we're going to recertify you. So I did. I had great recommendation letters. I thought I even had flag letters from admirals. They said the hardest part's just getting endorsed. The rest should be downhill, Travis. You're going to crush it. you just pinned on Lieutenant Commander. You're in a part of this doctoral group at Vanderbilt. You're, you're, you're making big things in big ways, baby. I get back to the results in November. They said, we've made a decision not to recertify you. And this is a closed board decision with no chance for appeal. <laughs> Talk about a gut punch. Doing the thing that you love your whole life, and it's ripped away from you. And you feel like you've done nothing wrong. You get anger, right? you get bitter. You want to have the people coming around. Yeah, it's right. Let's go stick it to the man. That's exactly what my flesh wanted to say. And anxiety about the looming pending. How am I going to provide for my seven kids? And my wife just had brain surgery last year. What? Well, I've been doing ministry my whole life. Well, you can be another officer. You can transfer into another community. What's a 12-year old four going to do in another community? I've been called to ministry, not to money. I can always find a job making money. But I didn't want to chase money. I wanted to chase after Christ. And I knew that if he closed the door, he's going to open another one. Maybe a closed door was actually a blessing from God to protect us from something else. But in that moment, I didn't see that. I was all torn up inside. Because it was a real reality. How am I going to feed my kids? How am I going to pay my mortgage? My kids, this is all they've known. My oldest daughter, uh, Eden, this is all she's known her whole life. All of her friends, her identity was wrapped up in being a military child. And God took us on a journey filled with a lot of grief, anger, and anxiety. And here's the thing I want to encourage you. God was still there. He was with us in the fire because there's another in the fire. Amen. You're not alone. See, God wanted us to take all of our anxieties to him. First Peter 5 says, Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. And based on the authority of God's word, I believe that God did not find our anxiety repulsive at all. In fact, God was so concerned for our family and our anxiety and expressing and acknowledging it to him provided him an opportunity to care for us like the good shepherd, the good father that he is in spite of our circumstances. He's not a good God because he gives us good things. He's a good God because he is good. He didn't say, suck it up, Travis, get it together. He gives us a language to come to him raw, which is our first step in dressing an anxious heart. Number two, ask questions about God's nature. I love this. How many times have you had these conversations with God? God, if I was in charge, I would be doing things a little bit different than you. Why are you doing in this way? And it's okay to have those questions with God. Moses did. Abraham did. David did. Even Jesus did. Come with your questions to God because he's big enough to handle them. Amen? Because if you don't, they're going to eat you up inside. Look at what he says in verse 5. Consider the days of old. Remember that word consider. I said, let me remember my song of the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So now the psalmist goes into a deep dive. He's like, God, you say you're good? Where are you at now? Have you forgotten me? Do you not love me anymore? Have you ever heard the old saying, if God is such a good God, then why does he allow these things to happen? Maybe you've thought that. And you know what? You start comparing yourself. You start looking to your left and your right. Well, they seem to have it all together. Don't look at people's highlight reels on social media compared to your reality. Don't look at other people's lives and feel like, you know why? Because comparison is the thief of joy. It's the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, not the happiness of our circumstances. And the nature of the psalmist's questions consider God's goodness. He is making a diligent search. My question is, when's the last time you made a diligent search? Have you asked those hard questions because it didn't match up with your head and your heart? You knew all the right things. You could spit them out. Scripture's. Verses, but there was no connection in your heart, and you're like, what do I do now? You take it to God. You be real. He says three things. Consider, remember, meditate. You need to have something to stabilize you when everything is going crazy and you feel like your world is out of control. What or who is going to center you? When we got the news that the Navy would no longer be a part of our career path, I had a lot of mentors reach out to me and some accountability friends. We need to have a Paul and we need to have a Barnabas. We need to have a person who's been down the road a little bit longer who tells us what we need to hear. And we also need to have that accountability who speaks the truth and love to hold us accountable. I had a lot of friends that reach out to me and say, hey man, you remember when you're in Afghanistan in that combat zone when we had a real enemy that wanted to kill us, wanted to kill you because they thought you were the evil mullah of America, right? Me? He's like, yeah, you. That's why we had you grow your beard out. That's why you had to change your route plans because they wanted to make an example of you and the Catholic priest. Remember when we baptized 17 people in the Helmand River? Remember it was the first combat tour in nine combats of the most deployed infantry battalion in the Marine Corps that we brought back everybody alive? My lovely wife reached out to our Navy Coast Guard Marine friends and made a compilation video. She's actually leading worship right now in Romeo and um, totally shocked, totally surprised. And it's about 47 friends made this video. A lot of tears, a lot of joy on my last day in the Navy. We watched that. And I have a quote here from one of my friends who's getting ready to be a soon retired captain. I will not name his name, but he says this, one of my great mentors. He's standing in front of a cross in front of his house saying this. He says, Travis, I want to thank God for what he has done for you and through you. It's been a pleasure serving with you. And here, here, everybody, this is going to connect everybody in this room right now. Listen up. Uh, It's been a pleasure serving with you and continuing to serve with you because we are both still getting to serve Jesus together in God's kingdom. Listen up. I don't care if you're 12 years old or 80 years old. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we all get the privilege of serving together in God's kingdom. Amen? And your identity is not wrapped up in what other people say. My grandpa says opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and they usually stink. Okay? Your identity is in who Christ says you are. Because we are imago Deo, created in the image of God. And God doesn't make junk and you are not junk. And I don't care what the world says, because we have a liar. He's a thief, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy, because when our joy is based on our identity, and when our identity is found in Christ, he wants to take our eyes off of Christ and get wrapped up in our circumstances. We try to chase that thing, chase that feeling, chase that thing, and it's never, ever enough. He wants to... He wants to kill your testimony. He wants to make you feel like a big, fat, hairy Sing your praises to God. Write your journals. Do the mission trips. Go do your Hope Week. Yay you. But I know who you really are. You don't think the enemy wants to get a seat at the table right now, sitting with you right now, going, when's this dude going to be quiet so we can go do our thing? Why are you with those parents? You know they don't care for you. Why are you with those, that person in your life? They don't, he or she doesn't care for you. You deserve better than that. He whispers those lies to take your eyes off of Jesus and onto yourself and your circumstances. Finally, he wants to destroy every good thing in your life that God has created to worship the created rather than the creator. He doesn't want you to consider God's goodness, he doesn't want you to remember God's faithfulness, he sure doesn't want you to meditate. Quick instant gratification. Quick instant gratification. Take this pill, do this thing, and you'll feel better. What about if you do all the right things and you still don't feel better? What then? See, the practice of spiritual meditation and consideration is to I want everybody to do that real quick. Take a deep breath. Hold it, hold it, and then slowly let out is to slow. We are going so fast all the time. All the time we're going. When's the last time you rested in God? What does meditation look like? Spending slowness, spending time in slowness, asking the big questions. What does reflection look like? Get a journal, get a piece of paper, get a sticky note, put it on your phone. We shouldn't have any excuse. Find something. Get a friend. Talk to a mentor. Help them to ask you those tough questions. So number one, we're honest about this with God. Number two, we um, ask the questions about God's nature. Number three, we you're taking notes, we'll close and land the plane here. We appeal to God's character, which is unchanging. Look at verses 10 through 20. Look what the psalmist says. Then I said, I will appeal to this to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. You see a theme here? Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people. He's talking about the Israelites when they're going through the Red Sea crossing here, for context, Exodus 14 to 15. He says, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Verse 17. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. You see, there's a pivot. There's a shift. Yes, he's raw. Yes, he's honest. Yes, he's honest about his not being okay. But he does not stay there forever. He lifts his eyes from the horizon of his circumstances onto his author and the perfecter of his faith. Because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. You have to believe that. We have to. And faith is forsaking all I trust him. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just have to give it to the one who does. He will never leave you, forsake you. And he kind of goes into this days of future past. By show of hands, how many hunters we have here? How many hunters? Anybody likes to hunt? Okay. How many has been deer hunting? Okay. Now, if you're using bows and you kind of shoot them and maybe you double lung them, right? You still get that blood trail, right? You're going to be chasing that deer, right? And you get to that place. You know, you maybe want to use that sports tape or uh, uh, tissue paper. You're putting like blood here. There's a blood right here. Oh yeah, there's one right here. And then all of a sudden you get to the place, you're like, you don't see any more blood. What do you do? You look behind you and see where the deer has been. That's the greatest depiction of where the deer is going to be. Listen to this, folks. It's my final point. If you are now in your life and you don't see where God is at, I want you to turn behind you and look to see where he's been faithful in the past. And how he's been faithful in the past will be the greatest depictor of how he will be faithful in the future. You can see where God is going by where he's been. The wonderful works of God and his character, who is a faithful father leading us as a good shepherd... And we cannot forget who he is. Jesus took all of our anxieties on himself. He went to the cross on our behalf. He suffered and died in our place. That he demonstrated his love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That somehow believing by faith that when Jesus died, it counted for you. It counted for you. Not because you were lovable but because of his character, because the Bible says God is love. And perfect love casts out all fear. We can appeal to the cross in our anxiety. We've got to fix our eyes on the greatest work of God, the, the, the gospel, the good news of who Christ is and what he did on the cross, that he died, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. Now, you've got to answer that for yourself. Who is Jesus to you? C.S. Lewis said he's either Lord, liar, or lunatic. Right? He's either a crazy person, everybody just drink the juice, and everybody just believed that lie. They followed that. Or he truly was who he said he was. He was Lord. You know those words still ring through my heart. I was allowing anxiety to become so self focused in what I thought my identity was instead of who Christ said that I was. My identity was not being a chaplain. I was a child of God who just so happened to serve as a chaplain. You, as a follower of Jesus, whether you're eight years old or 80, you are a child of the Most High King. And God wants to use you for his glory and others' good in the context of your messy life, in the context of your pain. He just wants you to fix your eyes on him. And don't worry about everything else. Just trust him. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't even have to agree. You have to just trust because if we had it all figured out, we wouldn't need God. That's the great lie. Do you. Do you, do you. Well, how are you doing? I know me. And I'm a hot mess. I needed to be reminded of the song, Who You Say That I Am. It says this who the Son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Is anxiety a sin? That's the wrong question to ask. You see, when you understand the context, it's easy to see our immediate response to pain, which is God either God given for our benefit or for the effects of sin on our lives, or our own sin, or just the brokenness in this world on our mind, or just not trusting in God. The right question is, what am I doing with anxiety? Because it's doing something to me. It's either taking me away from God or drawing me to him. Will we acknowledge our anxiety to God? Will we inquire about his nature in our meditation? And will we appeal to his loving character as a good father? who is the father to the fatherless. I never knew my dad. I was raised with my grandparents. My mother was 16 when she had me. And um, she didn't know Christ until about the last six months before she died of cancer, 57 on my last deployment. I had a lot of anxiety about who my father was and not knowing. My grandpa said, I'll never be your father, but I can always be your dad. He's 88 now, getting ready to go home to be with the Lord, Hopefully, not too much longer. He's lived a good, long life. But I remember after I got the Red Cross message on my mother's death in June, uh, July 6, 2018, I was ready to go home. And she says, Travis, I don't want you to go home. I want you to share the same hope that you shared with me, with your people, because we have She went home to be with the Lord. And I know one day I'm going to see her again. No more suffering. No more sin. No more pain. You know why heaven is heaven? Because we get to be with Jesus. My question is, do you want to be with Jesus? Let's pray. Our good and gracious God, we love you because you first loved us. Because you are love. And your word says in Philippians 4, let your our reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord, you are a hand. and But that, that, that when we are anxious, the, 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 don't let that anxiety cripple us, but present those requests to you through prayer and supplication. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard our heart emotionally and our mind mentally. So therefore, whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is praiseworthy, if there be anything excellent, Let us think about those things. If there be anything true, help us to dwell and meditate. And the peace of God would be with us. I pray that your peace would abound today in every person's heart. Because if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. I pray in all God's people said. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.